Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it's Albert. We are going to dive into a trend in the NFL that you may not have noticed with a great guest. Fun conversation coming there. We've got all of your DraftKings, DFS, and fantasy information for Divisional Playoff Weekend. We've got the six-pack. We've got the takeaways. Let's go. All right, welcome in. Valkar Weekend's in the books. The coaching carousel is spinning, and Divisional Playoff Weekend is right around the corner. It's the Albert Breer Show. we got a great show coming for you this week. We are going to dive into an emerging trend in the NFL that I'm not sure a lot of people are talking about quite yet with our special guest. We're going to get you all of your fantasy and DFS picks and and your head-to-head picks for Divisional Weekend with Michael Fabiano of SI.com. And we're going to get to your questions in the six-pack. But we're starting with the takeaways. And my first takeaway, Urban Meyer is worth the wait. I know Jacksonville is probably annoying right now. I know that you've been waiting for a week and a half. I know it feels like everything's on hold. If you get Urban Meyer, it will have been worth the wait. I don't know that he's going to say yes. I, like, like I don't have information on that. What I can tell you is I know what he's bring, what he'd be bringing to Jacksonville as an entire program because I know that he's gone into planning with a lot of people around him. And this isn't just football, right? There are coaching staff. Uh, people got people that they could fill out his coaching staff that he has talked to and some of the names that I've heard former Texas coach Charlie Strong former Rutgers coach Chris Ash current Colorado State coach Steve Adazio current Utah defensive coordinator Morgan Scally all guys who have a ton of background in his program who know the roots of his program and if you want to look on the other side of it like the non-coaching side of it strength staff player development staff like that's what you're getting if you get Urban Meyer. And I'd argue that a lot of like why Urban's programs are what they are is about that stuff, about the non-football stuff. So, yeah, they'll find somebody to call plays on offense, find somebody to call plays on defense, find somebody to run the special teams. But really, what Urban Meyer is is a program builder. And that's something that's been lacking in Jacksonville for a long time. They tried to do it with Tom Coughlin. I think it was difficult to do it with a non-coach. Doug Marone gave it his best shot. But I just feel like there's been some things in that building that have been working against whoever's in charge of the football operation. And if they were to give Urban the keys to the castle and do this sort of house cleaning that you saw in Buffalo with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean four years ago, I really think it can work. And so I would just tell people in Jacksonville, hang tight, decision's coming. If it's yes, I think he'll have been worth the wait. And even if it's no... I think it was worth taking the swing at this if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars to change the paradigm of who you are. Takeaway number two, I think the Broncos hit a grand slam with their general manager hire. Going and getting George Payton out of Minnesota I think is similar to when the Indianapolis Colts were able to lure Chris Ballard from Kansas City. Same sort of thing. Guy was very well connected in the coaching world, very well connected in the scouting world, had been sought after by teams for years has a ton of experience as a number two, and I think he's going to come in there and do a fantastic job. And this is another sign 
that John Elway is truly stepping away. I think I told you guys this last week, the week before, whenever it was, but the idea that John Elway had here, look, there's a year left on his contract. Brittany Bowen is likely, uh, maybe not likely, but 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 it is in play to become the controlling over owner over the course of the next over the next year. They were going to hit pause this year on making major football moves, hiring big, like like, like firing and hiring and into big positions because they wanted Brittany to be a part of that. And, you know, Elway, I think, looked at the landscape and said, I don't know how much more time I have left. I want to be part of picking the next GM. I want that to be part of my legacy. And lo and behold, he absolutely lands one of the one of the bells of the ball. And I, I think going back to the beginning, there were some easy names here to connect to the Broncos, right? There were four guys who were in high up positions with other organizations that had worked for Elway in Denver. So that's Dave Ziegler, Champ Kelly, John Spytek, and Adam Peters. All four of those guys are capable. All four of those guys are going to have a shot to be GM someday, I think. Um, and I, I'd like, like, I remember talking to people, yeah, you know, all those guys would be good here. But we, John really wants to take a swing for the fences. John's going to get competitive about this. Well, he got competitive about it. He's got his man, George Payton. I think George Payton will do a great job on the personnel side. He should be able to build a really good department, you know, figuring out who's good, who's not in that department, and then going and bringing in some of his own guys. So I think that that's a plus. That's what you had in Indianapolis with Chris Bauer bringing in guys from outside. Obviously, Ed Dodds is very prominent among those guys. He brought in Rex Hogan. You may remember uh, it was just a loaded scouting department in Indianapolis. So the Broncos are going to have the chance to build that sort of thing um, in Denver now. And and like if there does come a time when they've got to make a coaching change, like he's connected to Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. He's got tons of other coaching connections. So I just think it's a really, really interesting hire and a good hire for the Broncos. They hit a home run with this one. I think being able to sell the history of the franchise, being able to live in Denver, that part of it's awesome too. Like I think that they did really, really well to land George Payton. Takeaway number three, the Bears made their decision to hang on to general manager Ryan Pace, to head coach Matt Nagy. And I don't think this is like the crazy decision that some other people think. I think Pace was probably on a little shakier ground than Nagy. But what I will say is that if you really look at the tra- track record, right, like over the last three years, Matt Nagy's three years, they're top 10 in the NFL in wins, and they've been to the playoffs two out of three years. Now, I mean, we can argue about the trajectory of the franchise and where it's going, but that's not bad. I and I don't think that that's fireable. I, I think the main thing that like they, they need to be noticed, uh, on notice for is finding a way to fix the quarterback situation once and for all. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know if it means trading up in the draft. I don't know if it means taking a swing on a veteran who might become available like a Matt Ryan um, or Jimmy Garoppolo. But whatever it is, they need to find a way to fix the quarterback position. So if I'm the Bears owner, I probably do the same thing that that they do. They hang on to Ryan Pace. They hang on to, to Matt Nagy. I think you just have to tell them, listen, how I'm evaluating you over the next year it's not just win-loss record. It's also what sort of position we're going to be at the quarter, we're going to be in a quarterback. And the main reason, and one of the, I think, driving reasons for me on, on why that would be such an important question beyond the obvious, the quarterback's so important. As that defense ages, you're going to need a little bit more out of the quarterback position than you've needed the last few years. So I think that that position is going to become even more important 
rather than going in the other direction. And that's why I think they've got to be very honest with themselves about Matt, Matt about Mitch Trubisky and take a look at Mitch Trubisky versus Sam Darnold. Mitch Trubisky versus Matt Ryan. Mitch Trubisky versus Jimmy Garoppolo. Mitch Trubisky versus Justin Fields versus Trey Lance versus Mac Jones versus Zach Wilson and make their decision that way. So, again, I think the Bears are did what they – I think it was the right decision to hang on to those guys, but I do think – they need up that if I'm ownership, I'm saying you need to have a plan for me at the quarterback position. Uh, takeaway number four, you know we talk about all the coaching carousel stuff. I know you guys love it, and I know it sort of hits more fan bases than maybe just the on-field stuff this time of year. So I just tell you, coming out of the first round of interviews, and there are seven open jobs. I think Robert Sala and Brian Dayball are two guys that are in a pretty good position right now, and so. Sal is in New York on Wednesday, or New Jersey, to interview with the Jets. He has been in constant communication throughout with the Lions. So he could be in a position soon, maybe to choose between those two places. We'll see what happens. But bringing him back for a second interview does signal a level of seriousness. So I think Robert Sal is going to wind up with one of these jobs. I think he'll be in play in Jacksonville, too, if they open that thing up further after you know the whole urban meyer thing happens brian dayball is another candidate i think he's in a really good position the chargers to me make a ton of sense he should be in play in houston after they go through all the you know check all the boxes and everything else he's got a close relationship with jack easterby and nick casario and he's another one who interviewed at the jets so i think dayball is in a good position i think sal is in a good position a third guy I'd throw in there is arthur smith who quite literally, was requested by all seven teams that have openings, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, I think Atlanta's a team that would make some sense for him. He'd stay in the same region of the country. They had some interest with uh, in him. Nate Hackett was another name in Atlanta. But I think that they're sort of one of those. And again, like I think for all three of these guys, Jacksonville would be a spot that you know would make some sense if Urban Meyer winds up saying no. Finally, takeaway number five, because I do recognize that we've gone through the takeaways without getting into much over Wild Card Weekend. Um, I think the most impactful win of Wild Card Weekend was the Baltimore Ravens going into Tennessee and winning that game and winning the game in the fashion they did and winning with Lamar playing the way that he did. You know, I think beyond just this being uh, a win to advance in the playoffs and get to Buffalo for round two. I think this is about not having to answer questions over the next year. I think this is about validating yourself. Like I, I don't know what I don't I, look. Look, you know, I, I know a lot of people say it's unfair. Um, you know, that's what you sign. That like when guys get criticized for not winning the playoffs at that position, that's what you sign up for. That's life in the big city if you're a quarterback, right? So. Like, I don't really have a huge problem with people assigning playoff wins and losses to quarterbacks. That's what you're paid to do. You're paid to make your, help your team advance the playoffs. And no, it's not all you, but, you know, it's at least on the quarterback to put forth a representative performance, you know, representative of what he is as a player on the playoff stage. And so I think that that's what's so impactful about this for Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have to answer that question anymore. And this was sort of a two for two in that. He came down, came from down ten to nothing when it looked like disaster had struck. In a lot of cases, that pressure would get to that to, to a player in that spot. I, on that third and ten, I think it was, 
that felt like third in the, third in the season, right? Like, and he winds up finding Mark Andrews down ten to nothing, where if they punt that ball back to the Titans, who knows what the hell happens? And so it's going to be really interesting to see the Ravens play this weekend. I think with a little bit of a weight off their shoulders after they're able to go into Tennessee and not only win, but come from behind and win. And I guess I ought to address what happened on Monday night too. Love my school. It was awesome going with my buddies. Some crazy stuff happened on a Monday night there that were non-football related. Maybe some fireball going up through someone's nose. Um, but I, I would say that I, I got so much respect for um, the job Ryan Day did, the job, the the, the, the guts that Justin Fields showed. Um, very proud of my school. I think the program is on the way up. Um, you see the way they're recruiting. You see the way they're playing offense. It's going to be tough to replace a lot of the guys that are gone. But I, I mean, man, Ryan Day is the right man for the job. There is no question about that. You know, I saw the thing about the Eagles having interest in him. I'm, I'm very glad that Ryan will be getting a raise. It's very well-deserved, um, and I am happy to have him as the head coach of my alma mater. And with that, we'll get to our special guest right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're going to bring back one of my favorite guys to have on the show. It's been a while, um, but I figured this was the week to do it for a specific reason that we'll get into in a second. He used to play for the Washington Redskins, the Miami Dolphins, the Houston Texans, the the Minnesota Vikings, the Giants, the Dolphins again, the Vikings again. Is that it, Sage? I think I got all of them. I'm the rare person, rare football player, traded three times and played for two teams twice. I, I noticed I that. Know. So that's he's Sage Rosenfels. And I noticed, yeah, I noticed that you had the return trips with the well, no, not the the Dolphins and the Vikings, right? The the Dolphins and then the Vikings. One was def, they're both sort of cups of coffee, I would say. The Dolphins was my cup of coffee. Just you know, I, I used to do a radio show in Minnesota with uh, with Matthew Collar covering the Vikings. And I'd be on like three days a week. Nice little deal. I'd watch the tape and we'd talk about the uh, you know, the Vikings and, and, um, we had a segment every Wednesday at the end where we would Wikipedia or just research a backup quarterback of the opponent of who the Vikings were going to play. So they're playing Detroit and I, I'd find Gus Farratt and then Matthew would find some other backup quarterback there. And, and we would both discuss them and the random things that you would find on Wikipedia <laughs> But what we're looking for is the journeyman quarterback, yep. not just the guy who had the season. Remember that guy? No, no, it's the guy who played for like seven teams. Mm-hmm. Steve DeBerg. You know, you just find these guys. And one of the sort of the magic criteria is if you can have a second stint that puts mm-hmm. you in an extra category of journeyman. It means that you were obviously someone somewhere before you didn't screw it up bad enough, like where they actually liked you, but maybe the situation was. 
you are free, but you are welcomed back. And those are even like extra credit points to the journeyman quarterback. Life. There you go. And, and I am like, I, I, this is just looking at like blindly at, at Wikipedia, but I see like, I'm trying to guess like coaches now. So I'm looking, I think it's mm. Marty Schottenheimer, right? Would have been really first Marty one. Schottenheimer, Daniel Nick Saban team for a year or two. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer, 26 year old offensive, no quarterbacks coach. Okay. First NFL quarterbacks coaching job. Um, Jeff George starting quarterbacks. If you ever want to talk to Washington football team, <laughs> that experience. And then Marty gets fired eight and eight. Steve Spurrier. Count me as one of the few journeyman quarterbacks. I played for Steve Spurrier. Oh, so you have Spurrier and Saban on your NFL yes, resume. Yes, no one's wow. done that. No wow. one has that. I don't wow. <laughs> That's know. incredible. No has that combination. Okay. Uh, yeah. So then, so then, uh, uh, I, I get trade after your, after with Saber with Spurrier down to Miami, Rick Spielman trades for me and Dave Wanstead and it's Jay Fiedler and Ray Lucas. And I have Norv Turner and Mike Shula as my coordinator Corbass coach, which then those guys, uh, uh, end up leaving. And Mark Trussman was my Corbass mm-hmm. coach. And then it was Jason Garrett and then Scott Linehan and obviously Nick Saban is my head coach off to Houston, Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan, uh, uh, you know, um, it was like just Matt LaFleur was like a Matt coaching LaFleur, intern or whatever, right? Mike, Mike McDaniel, yeah. Robert Sala, uh, yeah. you know, every, all these guys that I played with, um, who are now in, uh, affiliated with the 49ers in, yep. in some way in Kyle Shanahan. I mean, uh, the equipment manager in Houston is the equipment manager in San Francisco. I mean, yeah. it was like that. They took the best pieces of the Texans because yeah. obviously there's none left. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, no, no. And they're like, we'll take some of that. Uh, <laughs> we love that guy. We'll just bring him over here and get this thing straight. Oh. Yeah, so that whole, that three years there, um, worked my way up to Minnesota because I was hoping to start with the Vikings. And yep. Tavares was like sort of an unproven quarterback. They had a good team. It was play defense hand to Adrian Peterson. Uh, I, you know, I can do this, right. I played pretty good in, in Houston's offense. Uh, Daryl Bevel's my coordinator, yep. children's head coach Favre shows up, you know, wrote my first ever article. I ended up in, in, in this magazine, uh, somehow, some way. Um, and, uh, I was there for a year, got traded the next year. Cause Jim Sorge, got hurt with the New York giants as Eli's backup. So now I'm backing up Eli Manning for a year. Right. Uh, Under Tom Coughlin, right. Coughlin and, and Kevin Gilbride. Gilbride. Yeah, the audibling and like yeah. the, the 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 work the quarterback has to do just to, sh- to snap the ball, but also like deadly route combinations that like the defense just can't be right. Yeah, like smart, good receivers, um, and just that whole experience. And then yeah, then I uh, uh, I, I was on IR, but it was like I was I was on hell. I got sick. Uh, mm-hmm. Signed with the Dolphins for two weeks. I figured I'd mono, so I really I basically like I yeah. got I've got to be done playing for a bit. Signed later that year with the Minnesota Vikings, in which it was Leslie Frazier as a head coach. Um, and yeah, sort of through the, you know, Tony, there's a Tony Sperano in there. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, so you know, Tony Alford, the great Ohio State running backs coach, been there for a while now. Mm-hmm. He was my running backs coach at Ohio State. Uh, there's the, the amount of coaches and the randomness of all of them and, and how they often and how they've all done since. Yeah, I played with them is super fascinating. So that's why why we well, it's one reason why this was a good week to have say John. Um, and obviously he's got a great Rolodex as as you guys can tell. Um, 
so like here's what I wanted to hit hit on with you that I, I thought was just it's so interesting to me because and we're gonna let, let's let's start by rolling the clock back two years ago. Sean McVay gets the Rams to the Super Bowl, and there are all these jokes and memes and all this stuff all over the internet about how if you you know ran into ran into Sean McVay on your way out of the town dump, like you were getting a head coaching job, right? So I think they I, use the phrase "if you had a cup of coffee." Uh, yeah, and I I, I I took some I took some artistic license there. I so you had that like so, and I remember it was even in like Cliffs, if I remember right, it was in Cliff Kingsbury's. The announcement. It was like that he was a friend of Sean McVay. So it kind of got to a it kind of got to like a, a ridiculous level. But here we are, two years later, and you know what? Looks like it wasn't a bad idea. Looks like it wasn't a terrible idea to go after Sean McVay's assistance. And it looks like it wasn't a horrible idea to pluck from that tree. It, so Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur, staff mates in Washington, both worked with Kyle Shanahan there, are playing this weekend. And Rams, Packers, whoever wins that game is going to be one step away from making it three years in a row that a young member of that tree makes it to the Super Bowl and represents the NFC in the Super Bowl. Of course, two years ago, it was Sean McVay. Let's, let's last, year was- last year. Last year was Kyle Shanahan. But all three of them in the playoffs and maybe even deep in the playoffs. I'm not sure how far. The Rams didn't make the playoffs last year. Last but, the Packers, they, but the Packers and the Niners played in the, in the NFC championship, championship game. game. They owned the championship game last year. So the reason I thought it would be great to have Sage on is to figure this out, right? Like, And to figure this out because it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence. And I don't think it even stops there because you have Kevin Stefanski. He's got the Browns having – in the playoffs for the first time in 18 years, advancing in the playoffs for the first time in 26 years. In fact, the last time that the Browns advanced to the playoffs, Nick Saban was Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator there. So that's how long it's been since they won in the playoffs. Kevin Stefanski worked under Gary Kubiak and learned that offense from Gary Kubiak in Minnesota. Like Matt LaFleur. Right. Kevin Kevin Stefanski was in the back of the quarterback's room in 2009. As the quality control, and I met him, and he was a couple of years out of Princeton or out of Penn, Penn, where he went, uh, and he was a safety, and I loved him off the bat, and I knew if he finally got the right coach and the right offense to learn from, yep. that he had the perfect temperament, the likability, the smarts, the mm-hmm. also, I, I don't call it political smarts, but the the ability to understand the bigger picture. Uh, he that to be calm and not go overly emotional, just a comments, just, and I knew he would be, and, and, and I would talk about from my leaving Houston and Kyle and Coops and going to Minnesota and being our Brad Childers's offense yep. and thinking how much hard it was going to be for me to be successful in that offense. All right. They ran a lot of the same plays, but they weren't all the same plays. For mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the right spice wasn't there on them. But on top of it, the bootleg and the play action stuff that Kyle uh, and Coobs would come up with and they had come with, uh, up with over the years. We didn't have those and we didn't have those near to the detail. Uh, and yeah. the running game didn't have the detail of an Alex Gibbs, you know, uh, Rick Dennison, Coobs, mm-hmm. Kyle, uh, situation. 
And it, it was going to be, I knew it was going to be harder for me to be like quarterback there. Lo and behold, Stefanski stays there for nine years and Man. ends up his dream, his dream after our conversations. Cause I came back and Stefanski was still there. Remember if you yeah. were right at the end and he's still there now. I, I don't know if he was quality control, but maybe he had been like promoted at, to Titans coach or something, but he was trying to move up and he was there for like nine years. Yeah, I mean, and he was like one organization. They, he's, yeah. he's quarterback's coach, and he wants to be a coordinator. He'd like to be coordinator. He'd like to be a head coach someday. And they say, no, we're going to make you coordinator. And then they bring in Gary Kubiak. And everyone thought, oh, man, how is defense going to take this? Really, Is Gary Kubiak actually going to be the offensive coordinator? And I talked to Kevin about it. He was the happiest guy in the room when they made <laughs> signing. Now he actually knew the secret sauce. Now he actually knew uh, a lot of those details in that zone blocking scheme that I'm sitting there going like, I was a pretty good quarterback in Houston. I didn't throw an NFL pass after I left the Houston Texans yeah. in 2009. Uh, and I, you know, I, and, um, and it all sort of worked out that way. Again, sort of like Matt LaFleur, not a rah-rah you know, uh, give great halftime speeches, get, you know, pregame speeches. And, but the science of the game that you learn in this offense and that outside zone blocking schema, it is, uh, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And you know, I was just watching the Packers the other day. They have taken it to a whole nother level, but you can still see it and you can still see it. Why? And you can still see why it works better than ever. Okay. So let's start here then. Like, like why do, like why does this work like can you give us like like a, a simplified because it's it's not like like a lot of things come into the NFL and it's like all right you have tape on it and now it's now you're gonna defeat it you know what I mean like and we're gonna catch up to this and you're gonna have to kind of keep the ball moving and yet like this system like its roots were really in the 90s right like with Mike Shanahan and Alex Gibbs and Gary Kubiak and all of those guys on the 90s Broncos staff. And so, like, why is it that, like, you know, now teams are making hires out of the, like, like guys with this background in particular, and it, I mean, it took Matt Ryan to a level where he won an MVP. It took... I, I, I think it take, it's taken Steve Sarkeesian to another level because he walked in there and just yeah. watched two years of Kyle Shanahan's offense... And everyone knew the details. Mm -hmm. And it was like, holy cow, this is so pretty we, good. He wasn't as good as Kyle, obviously, but I think that did him very well by going to Alabama and uh -huh. had learned all of that. And now he's a head coach. And I, you know, I, I was thinking about this when he got that hire. I'm like, we're going to see a little more of that outside zone play action, bootleg stuff in the Big 12. And we don't see that very often. You know, and, right. I, and just in college football in general, Iowa does it to the most vanilla level of all time. Yeah. And um, what these guys do is just to a to, to a different level. But anyway, well, what, well, why is it? All right. So like you said the secret sauce. Why is it like why? So here's just why one. does it work? Why is it important so well everywhere? Here's you know? one example. <clears throat> if you think of old school football, you think of two receivers on the outside split out wide past the numbers a tight end on the MLS scrimmage, a fullback and a tailback. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they actually are one of those teams that likes running that, in that formation because the play action is so good. When the fullback and some sort of zone scheme is leading up on like the will linebacker, 
it's a race to who's going to meet each other in the hole faster because that middle line, that will linebacker has that gap. So you see a, a, the sort of the, the parting of the seas, the guard blocking down on that, that nose tackle working with the center. When that opens up, that linebacker knows that the ball, that the fullback is coming his way. And his job is to meet him on the last scrimmage. When he does that and you don't actually throw, don't actually run the football, there is now a huge cavity behind the, that the defense, the linebackers and the, the you know, and the, the, the down players. There's these big empty spaces in there. If you think about it, the quarterback drops back, the linebackers drop back and the safeties drop mm-hmm. back. Like that's how football works. Quarterback drops back, they drop back. But yeah. when, when we try to force them to come up in various run scenarios, whether it's a play action or even a bootleg, of which they teach how the tight end does it in such an interesting way, with playing with that defensive end so you can get out on the edge. That's a whole nother conversation. But when you force the linebackers to make these decisions to stop the run first, now you get out on the edge and there's dudes wide open mm-hmm. or just open consistently for 15 yard gains for 20 yard gains for a shot dropping back and trying to throw a 20 yard dagger out with no action when the linebackers never and and it's just it can be done it's just much easier to do it by displacing those linebackers underneath players so that's number one okay they weigh they teach the outside zone, and they've actually the 49ers they don't do nearly as much outside zone as they used to like the Packers do a lot more and the Rams do a lot. Um, but the, the the linemen have to play the entire field sideline to sideline. Mm-hmm. So they have to play in their gaps. It, so it starts off as like this run gap thing. When you make those D linemen run sideways, they're not rushing the passer. The quarterback, right. and then, you know, boom. And Aaron Rodgers back there with nobody, nobody in, in his way. Let's add on to the receivers and their splits. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. You'll watch a lot of games. Again, remember the, the, the original vision. Your receivers are on the outside by the numbers. Let's bring those receivers in. Let's yeah. put those receivers four yards from the end man line scrimmage, from the left tackle, from the right tight end on the right. Let's put them right there. So if they decide to have Harrison Smith in the box, we're going to send that receiver. He's already there. We don't have to motion him down. We don't have to do it. He's also in a spot where he can get to the other side of the field much better by the way. Mm-hmm. He can run a deep crossing route. You can't run a deep crossing route from on the outside. So they start creating all these combinations with these splits where you could have the runs and leave them on. And some, again, let's imagine this. Run to the left, fullback's going to the left. He's taking on the will linebacker. Okay. But let's say the will linebacker is now more towards the A-gap and the safety is down there. So normally you run have run play go the other way. Now with your receiver in those splits, you can block that receiver, and now the run, the line has great angles back to the linebackers who have all scooted to the right, and it makes the and it, so who has to make the tackle? The crack replace the corner. So if you want the ball to go here, the corner is going to make a lot of tackles, and you just get a lot of six and seven and eight and nine yard runs when corners are making tackles. And again, with all of that, and then how the play action looks just like the runs. Um, and the, the tight splits, it's, and then, and then, you know, once the linebacker just hurts, now the secondary is in a high alert. So now they're more aggressive to worry about those big gaping holes. So now they're overly aggressive. Now you throw Andre Johnson on like a high corner post 
because these guys get out of position and Aaron Rodgers is back there with seven seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that really is like sort of the combination that, uh, of the whole thing. And they just know that better than anybody else. You know, what's funny is like you're explaining that and it sounds sort of like my high school offense. Like we ran the wing tee in high school and everything looks the same. <laughs> you know I mean? well, there's an aspect to that. There's you know an aspect I mean? of everything absolutely looking the same. Imagine if you ran the wing tee and you were in shotgun and you had a really good quarterback and you had awesome receivers those linebackers are going all over the place yeah. and there's big holes behind them. Well, in right. a, some way they're running a different form of the wing T they, you know what I mean? But the, but the basics is the actual scheme for the, for, for the, for the line blocking. Um, and I, and I think John Benton is magical, right? I think he's also one of those guys who sort of got the magic of Alex Gibbs and, and, and add his own elements to it. But then the guys would come off of him because they took, uh, who is the O-line coach? I'm, I'm kidding of his name. He's in Green Bay. You might have his um, Hold on. In Green he, Bay he, right now? Yeah, Green Bay O-line coach. All right. Which he little, was wh- my uh, – he was in the practice squad, maybe the roster, uh, at, with the Houston Texans. So he learned this scheme as a player, as an undersized, not as athletic, trying to make it. And he found on this scheme where he was actually pretty good or be, was okay. Adam Stenovich. Adam Stenovich. He was on, you know, the, he was one of those backup linemen or practice squad mm-hmm. linemen, those Texas teams. Perfect guy that really understands the secret sauce because, again, he was there at the beginning of it and he's been around it. And that thing just keeps advancing. And now when I watch the Green Bay Packers, I sit there and I go, I would hate to be a defensive coordinator. Because they are stretching us over here, and now they've got a, a jet sweep that turned into a flare-out bubble over here, and there's a linebacker who is in space. He's not sure which one to go to, and either way, he's going to be late to him. And even if he gets there, he's going to be soft because now his gap is not the nose tackle gap. His gap is like eight yards wide, mm-hmm. and he has to cover all of that. And that now has become, to me, the advancement, like sort of the second level uh, of the outside zone rain scheme with the, you know, the bubble and the, the other games that come off of it. So like if this is so successful, why like, and you know, we, we talked about this like full disclosure before, and I wanted to set you up for this, right. You know, like if this is works so well, why don't other people steal it? Why can't you just steal it? Because I've been told by some of the guys who are in that sort of family of coaches that you really can't just steal it. Like that it's a, like you have to teach it. You have to you have to have a foundation in it. Like why is it that like something that like at least on paper sounds pretty understandable for me and I'm not a football coach, right? Yeah. Like why is it so hard to teach? Why is it so unique the way that uh Kyle Shanahan, a Matt LaFleur, a Sean McVay teaches it? When you go to college, you sit there and you learn it from a professor. All right, for a few months, or you mm-hmm. read some books. All right, when you're actually in the thing and you see the growth and you see the well, they did this, let's do this, and you keep yeah. the thing just keeps growing. Um, when you're, you know, when, when you're somebody who's done something for for fifteen or twenty or thirty years, you just know all the, the and you know it's always advancing, but you just know all the details. You can't read the book to you know. Uh, to make it really feel like you've been in the Louvre, right? You got to go actually yeah. go into to the Louvre. And there is a coach that coached for the 49ers uh, a few years ago. And he had co- he coached there for three years. And he did it for the third year just because he knew um, 
because he was offered some jobs that were, mm -hmm. weren't the lower paid jobs a year earlier. And he said, I needed another year of, of learning from Kyle. You just learn so much. And it's just like going to the master class type of thing. And if you get that education now, uh, it'll serve you better to have a longer coaching career, right? I mean, think about that. Think about these guys who probably are making 40 or 50 or 60,000 a year, having a chance to probably make a quarter million or more saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to do one more year. I mean, that's a smart coach. Yeah. Also to recognize that because he had seen it. He had seen these other coaches also learn and grow and go other places. And you do need that time. You don't want the VHS copy version. You don't. Right. And, uh, and that's what, when you watch it on film or you read the playbook or the, whatever, no, there's just, um, there's all that experience there. And, and I, and I think a lot of coaches don't have the creativity. Like there is a lack of creativity sometimes with coaching. There just is. Some people have these things where this is the way we run it. This is the way we do it. And, and we do what we do. And yeah, we that. do what we do. Right. That whole set, whatever, whatever that is, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think this is where you might get a separation between sort of old school football, as they say, and new school football, NFL football. And that young people nowadays, they don't do the thing where you just run your back in 1952, Texas A&M players would be out in like the desert running and, mm -hmm. and water makes you soft. Yeah. The game just evolves and, and, and until the eighties when it was this and you know, and right. yeah, I played for, you know, all, all these random coaches, right. They all had, but. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, like you're right. Guys, the, you're right. Though. For Marty Schottenheimer, Marty Schottenheimer and Tom Coughlin, and, but the younger guys. Right have the ability and and some of the older guys too that i love because they actually are like those people that you can actually teach mm -hmm. old, teach new tricks to but they they don't see they're not going to do the same thing over and over and over they're going to try something new and see how it works they're going to try something when they have an idea no ideas are bad and you come up with these things next thing you know you've got a tight end wide open with nobody around him on a bootleg it's incredible it's incredible I have like a, like I, you were saying the thing about the water and I like now, like, cause I'm a space cadet, I got caught up in that because we had a coach. So I went to high school in the late nineties and we had a coach or my, my outside linebackers coach made us each drink, like told us before we had, we had doubles back then. Um, we call them double sessions, two a days, whatever, but you had to drink like two gallons of water before practice. And what he made us do and everyone thought he was crazy at the time. Like, what the hell are you doing? And it turns out he's ahead of his time because all the older coaches are like, you're soft if you need water, <laughs> you know. But he was like, like he was a younger coach, really energetic guy. Had played either, I think he played both college football and lacrosse. Had gone to our high school. And so he's like a, a little bit of like a, you know, high school, like, like was on some really good teams or and all that. But, but a younger guy. Yeah, but he's, but, but he, and he made it. Well, maybe so he learned in were, college. What but had not passed down to high school yet? But you know, here's the thing: there, there was there was this there was this there was this there was the, like these these woods right like behind our practice fields right, and he made us at the at the beginning of every practice during doubles walk up to those woods and take a piss, and we and and he would not let us practice unless our piss was clear. Now he wasn't checking; it was the honor system. I will say that. 
but Coach Hunter made us go up there and and piss. And and I, I don't know if Shelby's going to have to edit this out if it's not appropriate or whatever. But our piss had to be Jim Jordan reference because you're an Ohio State guy. Yeah, but our, 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 piss had, our piss had to be clear for us to be cleared to practice. And it was just our position group. It was just like the we call it was defensive end in a five two, which is like basically an outside linebacker. And how but old was? Made, but how old was he? He was he was like twenty six. Okay, so there is something so like that, about that, but that to me is like the, like the example, right? It's like, like, it's like brain he's not like locked in, but he wasn't locked into the way that it had always been done, which is what you're getting at. That's right. That's right. And these guys aren't wa- locked in. That you know, when I was drafted by Washington, Jimmy Ray was my offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Ray coached in that league for forty some years. He's sort of a legend. Yep. One of the earlier African American coaches bit of a trailblazer, I would say. Uh, the one-liners that he had, the way he described it, was fantastic. But we were he was, I believe, the the running bass coach that made core bass coach. I'm not really sure. I think core bass coach for Joe Montana when he wow. came to yeah. Kansas City. Okay. Uh-huh. So I am running the play called Fox 2X and Y Hook, which is like day one installation, NFL West Coast offense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an awful football play. But guys like Brett Favre can sort of find a way to find – you just sort of see it and throw it. You're not really reading anything. It's just sort of like this simple play action of, of you know. And um, it's so – no one runs that play anymore. Mm-hmm. Nobody runs that play anymore. But we were so – I ran that play when I got to Minnesota, of course, because they had not made that transition – but you'll never see anyone in this offense like they they that it's just sort of like this old old school play that Brett Favre back in the day got completions and John Montana got completions and the old Steve Young got completions but nobody in the new age game runs that play anymore and that is sort of like that difference where the people really are advancing the game and i and i just i i do i i think being younger you're just open open to more i, just, I mean I, my kids have talked to me about different things and you're just they're just open more to, to different views and different things because well, you're not as you're just not as locked into a certain belief system right i, I grew up in a town simple. of 300 people in eastern iowa okay yeah. um i rarely left my county so your belief system and what you saw every day was small these kids have instagram and they can see what a nice vacation looks like in switzerland and what they're missing out on <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's doing to the six. Uh, I guess I, I guess there was the, yeah. I mean, we're we're going far afield here, but I mean, yeah. I mean, there there definitely was some but like they do. I think they're just a little bit more open uh, as far yeah. as like types of people and religions and races and and probably less judgmental. I would think and less sterile. You would think so. Yeah, I, I hope so. There also Maybe was some beauty and positive of social media. There was there was some beauty back in the day, and not you know you know you don't know what you don't know. There was some beauty like that's all gone now, but there was some magic, and you don't know what you don't know back then. We all um, ignorance is bliss. Oh, so yeah. we don't you don't know what you don't know. It's a right. Great phrase. Yeah. Those who try to copy it don't know what they don't know. Right. Right. They don't know what they don't know. So Does that makes like, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to add a couple last things just on this topic before we jump over to a couple other things before we like go. Um, you said you watched the Packers. What do you notice about the way the offense? Because it's like we've seen this offense like really kind of work for guys on the way up, right? Like Matt Ryan was like a really good quarterback. It took him to another level. Uh, Jared Goff, struggling young guy, it works for him. Jimmy Garoppolo, it's obviously been really good for him in San Francisco. 
but like I'm not sure Ryan that we've Tannehill, seen it. Let's not forget Ryan Tannehill. Right, Ryan Tannehill is a great example. Like Kirk, Kirk Aaron Rodgers is different. Kirk Cousins somehow continues to put up good statistics. Right. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is different though, because Aaron Rodgers was an established multiple time MVP. Um, I, like I, I guess maybe the best like parallel would be like Elway, but he's not like at the end, the same way Elway was when, you know, he got that offense with Shanahan at the end in Denver. Uh, What do you, what have you noticed just as far as what the offense has done for a guy who is already really, 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 really good. It's funny. You brought up Elway. There's this is a look at me a long time, long, long uh, answer. All right. right. A lot to bring in here. Elway, you remember those games? That guy was every 16 games a year making miracles happen. Yeah. I mean, he's running. Oh, well, back, like, way back in the day, you mean back like when he. Day, yeah. He was shot. Oh, and it was, and that was like a backyard offense, too. Field is mud. He's, he's hitting <laughs> dudes, you know, yeah. run around, making plays, cannon of an arm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it he was, was Mahomes. He was Mahomes. He was Mahomes, Mahomes you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, he wasn't Peyton Manning. He wasn't get the ball out quick. He liked to hold on to that pigskin and he would find some open make and, and he would also run and he was fast and it's this big sort of Carson Wentzy athlete, right? This big strong athlete. You know what he and, is? And that, uh, he, he's like what Mahomes would be. Like Elway in the eighties, I feel like, is what like Mahomes would be if he didn't have Andy Reid and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Like where like his he, he has the ability to play point guard because he has all of these great weapons around him. Elway had like all of these my 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 recollection is like early in his career in the eighties, like Elway had all these average guys around him and just made crap made shit happen. You know what I mean? Like that was the whole thing, and like, like I feel like that's like what Mahomes would be if he didn't have this great environment around him. You know if we what I mean? Talk about Elway real quick. Okay. That all occurs. Mike Shanahan comes in. Right. John Elway, they just say, let's just, just be a part of this offense. We're going to make right. it easier on you. We're going to mm-hmm. make this running game. You're going to do some bootlegs and some actions. You're, you can still move for an older guy. You're going to take less hits. And you're going to win two Super Bowls. His coordinator was Gary Kubiak. Right. Gary Kubiak was also his backup quarterback. During a lot of you know, yeah, during a lot of years, he was he was always backup. Listen, I I don't know how old Gary was when I played for the Texans. I was like 28, 29, 30. Mm-hmm. Gary was maybe like forty five. He wasn't that old, you know, maybe fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, I I've seen him throw the football. It's it's not John Elway, yeah. Okay, and Gary helped with Mike Shanahan design an offense that even Gary Kubiak could be pretty good at. I truly mm-hmm. believe that. Let's make it easy so even a guy like me can function. And I actually admit, think that has a lot to do with this whole story. Is they allowed, they said, John, you're going to be a part of this offense. You don't have to be the whole offense and, and do all those things. And when I was moved to the Packers, when Matt LaFleur got hired, I didn't know how it was going to yeah. go right away. I'm actually thankful that Matt, it's actually Matt LaFleur is probably a better coach for Air for Aaron Rodgers than I think Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan would be. I think the you know, all those guys have different personalities. Yeah. And it's actually fun to talk to all three of those guys about each other and their personalities because they're right. all so different. And 
different people have people have different people skills as long as you're sort of the best of yourself right i feel like matt's more agreeable is that fair yes like is that the right way to put it like he's less he's less forceful he's less forceful he's more willing to meet you in the middle right like that's matt but kevin has an ivy league education (laughs) yeah um so what are you trying to say about saginaw valley state (laughs) (laughs) but i'm just saying there's and and baker wow baker mayfield he became more like one more mature this year yeah he didn't see the annoying you also didn't see that at Aaron so much. Right. You know, you saw Aaron on his Barstool sports show. Looks like saying hilarious things and having a good time. Or, yeah. or Pat McAfee or whatever it is. Pat McAfee, right. I think it is. And, um, but what you're seeing is what I thought would happen. And what I always thought would happen. Was that if you actually got a great quarterback in this offense. You know, not me or Matt Schaub or, or uh, uh, RG3. But you got somebody who was not only experienced, but was athletic, but was like one of the great ones, a Russell Wilson, um, a Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. um, a guy that could also throw it a long ways down the field accurately because you get these double move shots and you got to hit them and you got to have the arm. And yeah. these but I, I just thought to myself and like, like I always thought I wish Adrian Peterson is prime could have played in this offense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Imagine yeah. if that would have occurred. Yeah. Imagine if Adrian Peterson ran behind that line last year for San Francisco. Right. You know, Mostert's great. Adrian's a monster. Right. And, uh, but he wasn't, he wasn't right. So, um, I just, uh, yeah, the, 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 all these guys have different, but I just knew it would work perfectly the way sort of Matt is and he'll meet him in the middle. And, and I thought Aaron's going to actually really like not being shotgun and not having to be John Elway, 1994, right. 92. All right. And, and I can actually uh, just be a part of this offense. And then when I need a throw, I can make those throws, but mm-hmm. they're also, and I also knew he'd be in the middle on like some audible and Hey, if you see something and you like that, let's do that. Take your shot. Matt right. LaFleur is all about common sense. This again, this like a young, it doesn't have to be my way. Why would I want to take all of that knowledge that he has accumulated over all that these was years? Exactly, it was funny you said that because that's exactly the point Matt made to me. And it was so it logical. Is. And I don't think every coach would think that way. Like, I would you it want was, to take away this is but not that's what we're talking about as a young guy, right? He has all this experience, but that's what we're talking about, right? It's like because he's agreeable, like because he's like, all right, like why in the hell would I not do this, right? Like, why would I not tap into. And that's Matt, right? Like, I, I, I not want to run this offense that as I watch Ryan Tannehill have the season of his life yeah, in airs in uh, Tennessee and say, I want that offense. Cause I am so much more talented than Tannehill and he is. And, and, and I think Tannehill is a very good player, but Aaron just has a, a, you know, and with the bad weather and the whole thing, um, and and in in Matt Lafleur's like it's again it's like it's this common sense thing you can right. see that you can see why that would work how that work and that that common sense thing and to me that's those details that you get when you play for those guys and it's yeah. also like how they practice it goes into like how how Kyle thinks what he thinks about practice and how a hard guy should go and the using pads not using pads how to like take care of your buddy how to like you know not hit a guy when you could hit a guy. There's there's a sort of a whole sort of a culture practice thing too, um, 
that is an aspect of this whole thing. I think that works really well. And that as an older quarterback, you'd really appreciate. Right. Like he's going to take care of you is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, do you remember early in Aaron Rodgers' career? Um, I felt like he was doing a lot of bootlegs. He'd reverse out. He'd roll to the right. He'd do mm-hmm. a little, a little, a little crow hop. And there would be Jordy Nelson on like a high corner post, pretty much wide open. And Aaron is just putting the ball in the money, 65 yards on the field. And then they just stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. They just stopped. And so I always thought if he can go back to, cause he can still throw it like that. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the best Aaron Rodgers that I ever saw. It wasn't the guy that was trying to be John Elway, 1991. Is there something that the offense is unlocked for Aaron that you can see? Say, say that again. Offense is, has unlocked. Is there something in Aaron that maybe the offense is unlocked a little bit? Like, and maybe I, I don't know. I'm not there every day. I'm here in Omaha, <laughs> you know, watching the country fall apart. Uh, um but do i know uh if it has changed aaron Rodgers' life no 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 no. but i mean like no, no, no. Something- i'm gonna answer that question because i actually think it has i don't know aaron that well i've met him a time or two i've talked to him i've had lunch with him you know back when i was playing we would talk about Favre and these things i occasionally see him in a locker room but it feels like to me that there is a different vibe about him the last couple years that is more pleasant, that probably has more gratitude, that probably has more appreciation, uh, you know, still has that same confidence, still has that I can make that throw, still has that maybe the coach should have called something different. He still has some of that, but I think mentally he's in a much better place. And when you are, and we were talking off air about Matt Campbell at Iowa State, when you are the best version of yourselves, and Matt Campbell says that a lot, if you could try to find what works for you to make yourself the best version of yourself, uh, that is a good way to go. And right now, I think Aaron Rodgers has a very good version of himself, and it's because of a really good running game. I mean, that's really what yeah. we're talking about here. Is, I mean, that's all it is, right? That's yeah. All it is, right? He's got the running game. And he's got easy completions. He's got wide open guys, and he's got, mm-hmm. you know, I mean. And then you uh, see Sean McVay on the other guy, side. Alan, he's Alan Lazard because I'm an Iowa Stater. I mentored him. Yeah. Had a couple lunches with him and discussed like, you know, what's going to happen next year as he was like going to leave Iowa State to just give him a feel because he probably got, but he was on a practice squad. He was undrafted, common sense guy, big body, will do mm-hmm. the dirty work, understands good culture, Matt Campbell, by the way, right? Understands those things. Is he super talented? No, but he has a lot of common sense and he's a yeah. big body. And if you put him in the right position, uh, he can do a lot of really good things. Or Kevin Walter was opposite Andre Johnson. So you need that guy. And, you know, they have it going there in Green Bay. I, I think Green – and, you know, listen, it's the NFL. Everyone can lose every Sunday. But I, I do see them as the NFC host this year in the Super Bowl. Not host, I should say, but the NFC. Representative, yeah. Okay, a couple last things before we get out of here. And it's, it's funny. Like, one last thing on that. Like, it, what's interesting, too, is, like, it does that for – Aaron Rodgers does all that for Aaron Rodgers and you can make it work in a pinch for John Wolford with the Rams too. <laughs> you know, you did it well with the, I was six and four as a Texan starter. Yeah. Okay. I did play. Schaub got hurt a lot in 2007. Uh, they benched David Carr a couple of a couple of times in 2006. Uh, I played a lot in 2008 and play as well, but I was six and four. My four losses, three were to the Colts and Peyton Manning. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. One was Baltimore, you know, and I threw four interceptions, right? I yeah. mean, um, I don't know how good I was, but I was at my best mm-hmm. when I played for these guys in this system. Okay. This is going to be a little bit of a hard left turn here, but they were the best version of myself, basically, as you know, what's around that topic. This is going to be, this is going to be like a little bit of a hard left turn here, but you know, earlier in the week, the Eagles fired Doug Peterson and I think a huge reason for all the tension there, I think this is an easy one. Like this part of it's easy. Like a huge part of all the tension there is that Carson Wentz just like one reason or another, like everything's come undone on him over the last couple of years. And what looked like a 15 year answer at the position has now become an enormous question mark. Do they trade him? Do they try to run it back with him one more time? Is he fixable? So I want to ask you a question just about him, um, but more so than just about him, like a kind of about the concept that a quarterback can be broken. I've heard a lot of like, and I'm not just talking about people on the outside. I'm talking about like people in the league, right? Like evaluators paid to look at this stuff and have an idea of what's happening who refer to him as broken. Do you think a quarterback can be broken? Like, do you think Carson Wentz, maybe at the point now where it's just going to be impossible to get him back to where he was a couple of years ago. I guess this is like a deep as existential yeah, question, right? right? Man, you're, giving me some, you're giving me some like deep. <laughs> um, he is not broken. I believe mm-hmm. he is fixable. There is, I think that um, he, you know, RG three, one rookie of the year also, or, right. Right. Well, we thought he was broken too. Right, right. Um, and, you know, he was never. And he's never gotten back to that. Maybe level. he was just never that good because, again, new first, uh, uh, this offense. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. LaFleur <laughs> coaching him, yeah. <laughs> I believe Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator. Sean McVay was the tight ends coach and Matt LaFleur's quarterbacks that year, this 2012. Is this is correct. Yeah. So that was maybe the, and then one. he had the Godfather as the head coach. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, but but so right. So that's a that's actually the you know everyone loves the comps, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone loves the comps, and uh, that would be currently sort of Carson Wentz's in some ways comp, right? Like, wow, you just didn't see it coming uh, because you just he had so many of the, these these positive attributes, and then over time. Um, it starts to fall apart. I I don't think he's I don't think he's RG three like you know, and I think he's he can be a really good quarterback. Right. I think he needs to get. I I, I recommend almost every quarterback to be in like this type of system. Like, what should the Dolphins do? Hire Rich Scangarello. That's what I would do. <laughs> I would hire Rich Scangarello. He's you yeah. know Kyle system better. I thought he did okay with Drew Locke a couple years ago as this rookie from Missouri who had never been under center before. Um, because I want to find a coach to run this type of system, um, and try to maximize my quarterback. So if whatever they do, if you hire a defensive head coach in Philly, I think you try to find somebody, um, or you hire like an Arthur. So that's like Robert Sala and then Mike McDaniel or Michael LaFleur coming. Yeah. Michael. Exactly. That's exactly right. Try to make them. The coordinator, or you go hire Mike LaFleur, just go for it. You know, (laughs) just go for it. His brother's doing all right. 
His brother did all right. Yeah, there were some doubts, you know, and then he's done great. The yeah. They're they're not twins, but you know they're brothers. You know. I mean, they're, I think I think Matt's now. I want to say twenty six and or twenty seven and seven, including the playoffs. So Mike, so so I would try to hire Mike Lafleur. I would try to hire Rich Gangarello. I would try to hire. Uh, if there's some guy now and that feels like they know the secret sauce and whether maybe it's backing up Kubiak up there, Kubiak, you know, Kubiak's, Kubiak's uh, uh, son is the quarterback's coach in Minnesota, of course. That's a whole other conversation. Right. But great guy, very much like his dad, cool, calm, and collected, common sense, super likable, has the secret sauce, right? Can they steal the O-line, assistant O-line coach away? Right. I mean, there's, like, there's all these things that go into it. Um, so I think with the right offense, he's, he's fixable, you know, and I, that, that's, that Super Bowl run Nick Foles went on. That was like a guy in the NCAA tournament in basketball, just like, a random guy from yeah. Mississippi State. All of a sudden. 1996, there was a random guy from like Mississippi State who was just going off and it was like 38 every game yeah. and everything. That was Nick Foles when they won the Super It was. It really was. It, Eli was that too. Eli was that. When they went the Super Bowl runs, all of a sudden someone just got hot and that was yeah. Nick Foles. Um, but it was getting hot. It was making crazy. It was making plays happen. It was making, wow. You look back at that Super Bowl, there's a couple of throws like, wow, what a throw. Yeah. What, a, what a ballsy throw that worked right. out well. And, but you just can't rely on that time after time after. They're in the shotgun a lot in Philly uh, under Doug Peterson. They mm-hmm. don't have a very good running game. doesn't seem like they have a lot of uh, weapons um, other than tight end. And to me it's it's not dan reeves 1991 and 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 denver and john noway has to make all these plays but it seems like they're asking carson wentz to make a lot and over time that just gets uh which is like aaron Rodgers was having to make a lot of plays in green bay and so you you get the worst of the quarterback and his is you know what's you know what's interesting about that though sage is like you talk about that like and it's like you can go back and you can look and it's like he had a really good team around him in his second year, right? And so they didn't have to ask as much of him. And he's younger, so they're like, all right, well, their RPO, they, they, the RPO game and everything else, like they were doing things to set him up. And then he gets the contract, and after you get the contract, what happens? Well, now it's harder to keep those guys around him. And now it's like now and now that's because another you paid podcast, him. But that's another I know, I, it, is, it is, but like now you feel validated, right? Like now it's like, well, we have to ask more of him. We're paying him this much. So now you sort of maybe move away from what no, you're you doing. No, you don't. You don't. You continually to ask the same and then just hope he's the guy that when a little bit more needs to be asked mm-hmm. of him, he's the guy that can that do it. Me. I don't think Jared Goff, from how I see it, sort of like is that guy. You can he. I think he has a lot of really good qualities and things. But, um, but Sean isn't lying to himself about what Jared can do. That's, that's the other right. Thing. That's that's exactly right. And you just have to pay your quarterback thirty million dollars a year. Like yeah. it's the deal. Um, I would take Carson Wentz over Kirk Cousins any day of the week. I might even take Mitchell Trubisky over Kirk Cousins. Call me crazy. He fits this offense better. I saw him run a VHS version of in Chicago the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I actually think Mitch would be better in Minnesota. Than because I know the numbers may not be the same. I love the VHS. The, the VHS reference is right in my wheelhouse. It is because we all know what that is. We all know yeah. what that is, right? It's that it's that uh, that coach you had in high school when you're watching film. They're like, they're running this play and they ran it for six yards in a cloud of dust. And we're going to run that play no, too. And I'm, it's, I'm oh, old enough. The I'm, pulling, hey, you know? I'm, I'm old enough to have had like our coaches, they wheeled the TV in on like one of those like old school stands right like that was how the tv came in me too we're the same we're like the yeah, same yeah. <laughs> it's like uh-huh. the, 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 the one of those things like wheel it in from like wood shop like yeah so um all right last thing i wanted to get to with you so just because huh, Carson went broken i think yeah. he's fixable i i but I, he has to be in the right system like you have to go back to like what made him successful a few years ago and say is, we're gonna get you back baseline and you think that that offense can do it for him is what you're saying i do it it, it just it, it it brings you to a there's less stress i think you know uh having the running game you got to find a good o-line coach you got to find one of these coordinators who's been in it for three or four or five years mm-hmm. and just sort of been around it and and um, they have to have the right temperament, you know, I, you know, just because you played for Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or Matt LaFleur or coached for him, I should say, doesn't mean, you know, all the secret sauce. Um, Cause you still have to have like the Kevin Stefanski temperament. You also have like the lack of ego to take on to that learning to be like, I don't know very much about football because when I listen to these guys, they, they, I, I don't have the ego that I know everything. And that's actually a, a struggle that coaches have by the mm-hmm. way. They think they know everything. Right. Um, so, right. so the ability to learn. But I think you put him in the right offense and the right system. And, you know, Mitch Trubisky, too. Is he going to be Pat Mahomes? No, he's not going to be Pat Mahomes. Um, but I think he could be a top 15 quarterback. I do. I do think he could be a top 15 quarterback. I saw Carson Wentz play when he was a freshman. I think he was a redshirt freshman at North Dakota State, play Iowa State first game of the year. I'm back home. I think I just gotten cut, maybe. I don't even know. Um, I'm back home and he's a true freshman and he made a couple really serious 20 yard throws, had a nice deep ball, got the ball out quick, hurled the guy on some run like like Josh Allen. And I'm like, this kid is a true freshman at North Dakota state. He's going to be six, five, 230. He's going to be in the NFL. I knew it right there and then. And I still think he has incredible talent. Um, there's also the likability thing. I, you know, you hear more things than me, but a likability of a quarterback is um, that's one of those things that uh, is is a is a quality that can't be. There's no numbers there. Right. There's a feel for do I really want to go to bat with this guy? Is this like my guy? Yeah. And even though he's a pain in the ass, I still love. Guys loved playing for Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. You go ask Steve Hutchinson, or you go ask John Sullivan, or those guys. Because that dude was a warrior. And so, you know, of all the theatrics of Brett Favre, guys with the bat form, does Carson Wentz have that or something? Yeah. Ubris thing. Does he have the it? That I don't know. Okay. Um, and it's interesting, too, just because, you know, I, again, like, it's such a massive decision to move on from a quarterback like that. And now you're going to have a new coach that's going to be a part of that decision that doesn't have the, the, the attachment to him that like Doug Peterson had being the being, having been there when he drafted him, you know? So that's going to be, I just, there's going to be an interesting mix there going forward. The last thing I have for, for you, and this is just, I'm, I'm asking this. I thought to ask this at the top of our talk, um, just because when we were going through your, resume like we hit Nick Saban and since 
Saban's in the news this week and left my uh, left my alma mater with a nice little shiner there. I um, I like I'm wondering if you think that like under different circumstances, like let's say for example he winds up with Drew Brees instead of Dante Culpepper in 2006. Like, do you think Nick Saban all along had what it took to be a, a successful head coach in the NFL, and maybe it just didn't work, or is he just better equipped for the college game? Both. He's better equipped for the college game because the college game you can gain advantages, and mm-hmm. the number one advantage is to be at any of basically ten schools. All right, there's just a huge advantage there, and then once you get it going, the advantage even grows more, as we've seen. You know, it's mm-hmm. basically Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Clemson, and then you know maybe in Oklahoma, maybe in Notre Dame, maybe a. I mean, that's what it has become. So he's even gotten like stronger. It's like the beast has gotten stronger. Right. I think, um, but in the NFL, I do think he would have been successful. I do. Uh, he probably could have used a better quarterback. You know, it was Gus Farrat and myself, and then the, the, they made that mistake with Drew Brees. Does Drew Brees, you know, Drew Brees, and, and, I, and I enjoyed Scott Linehan's offense, but he's a vertical sort of down the field passing type of, type of uh, guy. Um, you know, I think what him and Sean Payton put together was like that maximized Drew Brees' best things, right? So I, but I, if you find him the right quarterback, the right offensive coordinator, like if he was running really good coordinators through that mm-hmm. on the offensive side, because he really has nothing to do with the offense. Yeah. Um, yes. I really believe that I, I, I'm a small kid town, Iowa kid. I bought into it. He was hard. probably took years off my life. I went from a three to a two in his system. I moved up. I played well when I played it, played well enough to go from rookie contracts and in minimum deals to finally a real contractor. And then I left for Houston. Um, but yeah, I think he does have, um, like, does he have a good people skills? No, but like what he says and everything, uh, you know, practice and it all does make sense. He is a very strong common sense individual and mm-hmm. he is not going to just hit his head against the wall and, or just, he's going to give you the answers to the test. He, he's going to give you the answers. Just take it. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. And you know, do your freaking job. I, he came in. And I'm going into my fifth year. Jason Garrett gets hired as a quarterback. Jason Garrett was my backup quarterback with Mark Trustman calling plays and Chris Forster calling plays as well, by the way. Wow. Uh, the year That's before, the whole the... staff have gotten hired and Wes Walker is now a part of the offense. The next year, Wes Walker is now our third receiver and Jason Garrett is my quarterback's coach. And I decided to, to, to stay on to that team. I sent a one-year deal back. Um. And I thought he would hate all the veterans. I thought he would, Junior Sad would drive him nuts. I thought Jason Taylor and and Zach, you know, I thought, you know, Sam Madison, Pat's, I thought these guys, like, guys uh, uh, loved playing for him. The veterans liked playing for him because it was that. Here's the answer to this, do your job. And Junior Sale was going to do his job. And Jason Taylor was going to do his job. And they were going to be accountable. You know, accountability is probably one of his biggest things. You know, the film doesn't lie. And everyone has to be accountable all the time, except for probably him. But everyone else has to be accountable all the time. And when you're an athlete, you res- you really do respect that type of sort of culture. It's mm-hmm. not fun. It's not a picnic, but it's fair enough. 
And, uh, and you don't always get that. You get pretty clear communication with Nick Saban. Yep. All right. He's Sage Rosenfels. We've taken a full hour of his time. I really appreciate it, Sage. Former, and why don't you do the teams? It's the uh, drafted by the Washington football team, traded to Miami for a, a, a seventh round draft pick or a cup of coffee <laughs> or something. Uh, uh, there for four years, three years in Houston, one year in Minnesota, one year with the Vikings, a cup of coffee in Miami again, and then back to Minnesota to, to wrap it up. And you got some football work coming up too, right? I do. I, you know, I, I do a little media stuff here and there, but uh, in the off season, I like to train quarterbacks. So I train some of these top high school kids, which is a blast for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to these five-star recruits who are going to your Ohio State or going to Alabama or going. You have an Ohio State kid with you? There's a kid that I trained uh, earlier this year that uh, is going to Ohio State. Um, well, we can have that conversation off the air, uh-huh. uh, but, uh, I get a chance to train these, these top kids, right. And yeah. the kids, you know, like, you know, ninth grader from my daughter's high school, I'll, yep. I'll work with them or something, but I'm gonna work with Ian book next week. Uh, and you know, again, I, well, I work with this throwing motion and not a lot, right. He is who he is. Um, but, uh, it's, it's watching the film. It's really understanding how the NFL game is. Um, it's just, it's a different game. The details so much more, the complexity and try to catch him up as quickly as possible. So he is ready for the senior bowl as well as he can be. Yep. Uh, and not only that, but also, you know, the combine after that, or however the, the interviews, my job is to go there and teach him football because he might be in Brian Schottenheimer's system, or mm-hmm. he might be in Kyle Shanahan's system. Or he might be in Matt Lafleur's system, or he might be in North Turner's system, or Jason Garrett's system, and I can probably figure out a way to teach him any of those. And so, then, if uh, you guys are watching Ian Book, would it be a week from Saturday? In the yeah, so two weeks from Saturday. Miami's offense, and Miami doesn't have a coordinator yeah. right now, so maybe like. <laughs> well, you know. so if you guys are watching the Senior Bowl, this would be two weeks now from. And I'm an idiot. I am. Hang on a second. Well, you know who I had last year. Last year. It's I a trained. real professional operation over here. I just pulled the cord out of my uh, my headphones just one to update the, everybody on that. One of the kids I trained last year was Anthony Gordon. Uh-huh. Washington State quarterback, air raid. Never been, hadn't been our center since sophomore year in high school. And having offered Justin Herbert probably would have been the MVP of the Senior Bowl last year. So I am one for one on having success with the transition from a college system to a pro system. Did he play for Daryl Bevel, uh, you know, at the Detroit Lions? Did I play for Daryl Bevel? There it is. But I, you're right. So it worked out pretty well. So Miami, go hire like Rich Scangarello or Mike LaFleur or one of these guys <laughs> um, so I can teach the system, uh, you know, or, or a North Turner uh, guy or, or whatever so I can – I can have a better chat. <clears throat> I didn't know Chan Gailey's system, so it actually it, it works out pretty good for me. So be sure to watch the Senior Bowl two weeks from Saturday, and uh, <laughs> you'll be able to you'll you'll be able to see the teachings of Sage Rosenfels at work out there in, in Mobile. Sage, I always appreciate you coming out. All right, Albert, thanks for having me on. All right, thanks to Sage. That conversation went a bunch of different directions, but it was a lot of fun. Be sure to check out Sage on Twitter. He's, uh, he's a good time on there, too. Uh, we're going to hop right over to our DraftKings segment. That means bringing in the original author of the Stardom Sidham column from SI.com, Michael Fabiano. Fab from Fabiano. What's up, man? Interesting uh, 
wild card weekend, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was um, it was interesting. I mean, I I don't know if I, I don't know if I would like. I was hesitant to call it Super Wild Card Weekend because I think it was just regular Wild Card Weekend with two extra games. Yeah. I don't, did we have any like how many Super games did we had? Bills Colts was entertaining. It was okay. Yeah, that yeah, was okay. Bills, that was Bills Colts had some drama at the end. Tennessee I mean, Baltimore was kind of eh. Eh. Yeah. I mean, Saints Bears was a dog. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Think I mean, I don't, uh, Washington. Washington, Washington gave Washington Tampa a game. Entertaining. That was entertaining. Right, yeah. because of Heineke. Yeah, yeah. And then the Steelers-Browns game was only entertaining in that and it, it was, was so like a, shocking. It was like a 10-car pileup. Like, couldn't, couldn't, it was right. like a 10-car pileup on the interstate. Like, you couldn't help but look. And you're wondering if Pittsburgh could actually come back at some point, mm-hmm. which inevitably, obviously, they were not able to. Uh, much to the disgust, I'm sure, of uh, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, who were trying to keep the audience from changing the channel <laughs> every yeah. time Pittsburgh scored in the second. Oh, we could have a game here. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, it's always a challenge for those guys. Yeah, um, all right. So I want to. Here's where I want to start this week with you. Obviously, it's a different dynamic for you personally during mm-hmm. um, the playoffs. And so, you know, I, I sort of thought about this over the weekend. How. Well, he had some guys, Deontay Harris from the Saints. Um, you know, obviously Gabriel Davis has these two huge sideline catches in Buffalo. And does that pretend that he does that portend that he'll have like a bigger role, you know, this week? Um, if you're a fantasy player or a DFS player, um, how do you approach this weekend? Um, how do you approach the playoffs in general? Just kind of like looking at somebody who might be a revelation in a playoff game. And you know, how does that relate to your willingness to maybe gamble on them the next week? You don't want to chase the points too much. So I'll tell you this. Harris will probably be far more owned in DFS than he was last week. Yeah. Gabriel Davis, maybe. I mean, the matchup's not great. Baltimore's defense is pretty tough on wideouts. And, but Davis is a player to watch. The, I feel like... We're getting we're getting some glimpses of some guys who could potentially have more value like next season. Like Michael Pittman was really good. Uh, T. Y. Hilton's a free agent, I believe, coming up in 2021. Cam Akers looked great, and if he has another good game against Green Bay, suddenly he's going to end up being in the top, I would say, 30 conversation in fantasy drafts next season. Maybe Deontay Harris, not so much, but Gabriel Davis with John Brown uh, and Cole Beasley in the mix there depending on whether or not Buffalo retains Brown Beasley, I believe is under contract mm-hmm. until 22 or 23. Yeah. So he could end up being one of those deep sleeper types, but you look at these performances and they kind of give you uh, maybe a little bit of a glimpse of what these players can do heading into next season, as it pertains to this week in the divisional round. I don't know that Davis is going to be a highly played wide receiver on DraftKings, but he opened some eyes, that's for sure. And also, too, like a guy like Baker. Now, the matchup this week on paper is not great. Kansas City is giving up fewer than 19 points per game at home to quarterbacks. And Baker's averaged fewer than 18 points per game on the road. But the over-under is like 55. So if you look past the matchup and think, well, this could be a shootout, and if Vegas has got the total that high – then Baker Mayfield could end up being in a position to be a steal. Like Baker right now on DraftKings, and we'll talk about this, like the matchup's not great, folks, mm-hmm. but he's $5,300. Yeah. So if you want to throw that dart and 
look the matchup in the face and say, nope, don't care. You know, Baker could end up being a pretty good option. He was last week and no one saw it coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, like uh, there are, and I don't know, like sometimes maybe we overreact a little bit, you know, like I I always, I hear what you're saying and it's like the carryover to the next year and hell, maybe John Wolford's a fantasy play in 2021. Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Um, All right. We'll jump into our picks this week. We're going to, not our picks, our, uh, your picks fabs this week. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do it a little differently. Fabs and I talked offline, thought it made some sense to do it this way. We're going to combine Stardom, Sidham, and your DraftKings DFS bargains and fades because one sort of fits into the other at this point, right? Right. It's a little bit easier and more economical to do it that Mm -hmm. way. So why don't you dive right in, Fabs? So we'll go with the battle of quarterbacks who will combined be 85 years old when this game kicks off. Brady and Breeze. Uh, Brady has scored 23-plus in four straight, 21-plus in five of six. Uh, He played the Saints in New Orleans in week one, had over 20 points. And DK's got this one at 51-and-a-half. So it should be a high-scoring game. So Brady and Breeze both are going to be in the mix. Uh, Brady at $6,300. Breeze at $5,600. The last time Breeze played the Buccaneers, he had four touchdowns and over almost 23 fantasy points. So uh, he's worth a look. And Josh Allen's the third most expensive quarterback this week. It's Mahomes at eight grand and Lamar at 76 and then Allen at 74. So, I mean, you could call that a bargain if you want. The quarterbacks that I would fade if I am in a traditional postseason league is... Baker, because the matchup's not great, and Goff, because he's the worst fantasy quarterback left. I mean, let's be honest. But again, if you ignore the matchup with Baker and look at the total, he could end up being well worth the $5,300 price tag on DraftKings. At running back, I've got Cam Akers, who had a 55% touch share last week. I mean, did this guy have a high ankle sprain or what? Jeez Louise. I mean, he's been unbelievable and the Packers defense has been really, well, let's just say vulnerable to running backs, uh, giving up the fifth most points during the regular season. And Kareem Hunt's got a revenge game, Albert. Right? I mean, like, you know, it's got to be in the back of his mind. These guys, and, and maybe rightly so, but they cut him uh, after that incident uh, in 2018. And their defense has given up about 155 scrimmage yards per game to running backs. So Kareem Hunt uh, at 48 and Cam Akers at 57 are going to be worth a look on DK. Uh, the backs to sit. I would assume Clyde edwards Hilaire is going to be back this week. If he is, he could be sharing the workload with Le'Veon Bell and Daryl Williams, and the Browns also allowed the fifth fewest points to running backs during the regular season. And I'm not sure what the status of Ronald Jones is yet, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're not 100% sure. If Rojo is back, then Fournette's a fade because I would expect Rojo to be back atop the deck chart. If Rojo's out, the matchup's not great, but Fournette's also – not super expensive on DK at $4,900. So really his his value is solely dependent on whether or not Ronald Jones is going to be able to go. And one player that you might want to avoid this week is Aaron Jones, who's at $6,800. He's the second most expensive running back on DK just because of the matchup. And Aaron Donald's going to play. So that the, the, the Rams defense is very good against the run. They're just very good regardless. So uh, Aaron Jones is a bit of a gamble for me at the price based on uh, the difficult matchup at wide receiver. Boy, it's weird for me to talk about Michael Thomas as a stardom. His touchdown last week was the first one he had in 2021 and it came in 20 uh, in 2020. Right. I mean, like 
He didn't score once during the regular season. And last week, you know, he had over 18 points. He's owned Tampa in his career, too. He's averaged nearly 21 fantasy points per game in nine career games against the Bucs. So, and I'm not saying he's super reasonable. He's $6,700 on DK, but he's the fourth most expensive wide receiver in the matchups, right? And then Antonio Brown, who's looked like Antonio Brown lately. Uh, the price tag's $5,400 on DK. Again, the over-under is pretty high in this game. New Orleans has allowed 14-plus fantasy points to eight wide receivers in its final four regular season games. Should be a high-scoring affair. At wide receiver, I put Jarvis Landry in here as a player to avoid because I'm looking at the numbers. And again, if you overlook the numbers and think, well, it's going to be a shootout, then maybe Landry's a better play. Landry's been good over the last month and a half, but Kansas City's given up only 15 touchdowns and the second fewest points to wide receivers and slot receivers are averaging fewer than four catches a game against them. So Landry is, is not in a great spot based on the numbers. And then Cooper Cup. The matchup's not great. He's dealing with bursitis in his knee. And Jared Goff is Jared Goff, and he's at less than 100%. So uh, Cup is, is a bit of a gamble for me. And Robert Woods also, I feel like at $5,900 is a little – it's not a super expensive price to play, but I feel like the Rams got to run the football. And it's going to be a lot of Cam Akers and keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field. I just don't have a lot of faith in the Rams pass catchers with Jared Goff under center at less than 100%. At tight end – I will tell you this, Jared Cook could end up being my favorite play of the week in DK because, well, Tampa Bay has struggled against tight ends. He scored 13 against them earlier in the season, and he didn't have a huge game last week, but he still got targeted seven times. So outside of Kelsey and Andrews, who are like obvious, right? Cook could end up being a bargain. And same thing with Austin Hooper. Last two weeks, over 30 combined fantasy points against Pittsburgh in those two games. And He's looked very good. Baker Mayfield certainly has gained a nice rapport uh, with Hooper, who, of course, came uh, from Atlanta in the offseason. And then uh, tight ends to not play. I think Tyler Higby's obvious. But Gronkowski, he has been held to three catches, 13 yards, and 4.3 fantasy points in two games against the Saints during the regular season. He didn't have a catch last week. He had one target. The Saints defense has only given up three touchdowns to tight ends since week nine. Uh, Gronkowski here is a fade for me. So, I, I like I just think like this time of year too, it'd be fun to have Antonio. I don't know why I th- like when I was thinking when you're going through these games, it'd be like fun to have Antonio Brown on your roster. It'd be fun to have like Rob Gronkowski on your roster. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe that's like kind of like silly of me for thinking that, but like watching them last week, you know, like you just. Yeah. I don't know. That Bucks team is so intriguing. We're gonna get into it here in our picks in a second. Yeah, and, but- and Gronkowski, like, he didn't get targeted a lot they were putting him on the line of scrimmage to block. Like he, he was assigned to block chase young a few times mm-hmm. that that's part of what makes him great. It's not about the numbers. That's why he's going to the hall of fame. Not only his numbers. I mean, he's just a great all around tight end. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Okay. So we're going to hop over to our picks now for this week. And mm-hmm. last week we sort of established it. I think it was on the fly, right? Fabs. Like we didn't yeah. really plan yeah. or anything. We're just like, yeah. Hey, what the hell we'll do picks. So, mm-hmm. and we're going to, I think, you know, I bet like a case of local beer or something like that. There he can go. send me some beer from out in LA. I'll send him some beer from here in mass. Um, if he wins, but after one week, um, remarkably enough, cause I'm not normally very good at these things. I came out of it five and one fabs. I came out of wildcard weekend five and one. Well done. You came out four and two. So you got some ground to make up. We make I do damn Steelers. We make the, we make the <sighs> pick straight up here and we'll do it in order of the games being played. And we will start with the, 
Packers. And you know what? Like, let's go back and forth. So you go first in the first one. I'll go first in the second one back and forth. So the first game, the late Saturday afternoon game, the Los Angeles Rams go to Green Bay, Wisconsin to take on the Packers. Who you got? I've got to go with Pack. I've got to go with Rodgers in this game. The line is at six and a half. I know we're not talking about spreads here. The over-under is only 45 and a half, which uh, is, I guess, not surprising when you consider the Rams defense and how well it's playing. I'm going Green Bay here straight up. I just don't feel like Jared Goff is going to go into Green Bay in a game that is going to be really cold, <laughs> right? And Rodgers is very good in the cold. And Jared Goff, I don't know if he's ever played in a game that's going to be this cold. So I'm going to go with the Packers. I can't wait to watch Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. It's, you know what? Like, this might be a weird thing to say, too. Like, have you ever had, like, an injury in the cold? Like, if you have, like, some sort of injury, especially to your extremities, like, mm-hmm. the cold does make it work. It does. Yeah. So, like, if Jared Goff's going out there and trying to play mm-hmm. with a screwed up thumb, I, yeah, just for a human, like, I know these guys, I know we aren't, like, to be clear, I know we aren't them, right? Like, no, I know, no. I know we are, but still, like, when you have an injury in the cold, and when it's like, especially if it's like a, a finger or a toe, mm-hmm. I feel like it becomes that much worse yep. being in the cold. Yep. So just something to watch there, something I'll be paying attention to because I'm dumb and I pay attention to that sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm going with the Packers too. I just think Aaron Rodgers is playing at an otherworldly level. I think last week Sean McVay did a fantastic job and maxed out what he had, um, you know, available to him. You know, mm-hmm. obviously losing Aaron Donald. <clears throat> And John Wolford in game and being able to kind of keep going the way they went was really, really impressive. I just I don't see that I don't see a team from California going into Green Bay, Wisconsin and beating a more talented group and beating Aaron Rodgers. And so yep. I'm going with the Packers. The Saturday night game, the Ravens at the Bills, and this is gonna be fascinating, Fabs, because yeah. it's Orchard Park, New York. It's mm-hmm. going to be freezing cold. It yep. may be snowing. Yep. Um, the atmosphere, I think, is going to be an interesting one um, just because it's like, whatever, 6,500 fans. Um, I'm going with Buffalo, but I don't feel 100% about it. I think that this is a true toss-up. And I'm going with Buffalo because I think they're a little more versatile and can do a few more things. But I also think the Ravens have an ability to slow the game down and keep Josh Allen off the field and sort of keep the Bills offense from catching fire the way we've seen them catch fire in spots. And so I think this is a close game. I don't know what the line is, but if the Bills are favored, I two probably and a half. Pick, Buffalo's uh, like I, I would Buffalo's think about giving two and a half. I'd think about taking the Ravens to cover in that case. I'm taking the Bills to win. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be awfully close, and I wouldn't be stunned in the least if Baltimore winds up coming out with a win. You know, I, I'm I'm on the same boat. Baltimore's playing really well. They're playing at high level. It looked like after they were down ten nothing, and everyone on social media was already burying Lamar Jackson because he yeah. couldn't get it done in the postseason. And then he goes out and rushes for over 100 yards in the game. Exercise I'm going with Buffalo. Oh, <laughs> if for no other reason, just because. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs brought me from behind to win two championships in <laughs> in individual fantasy leagues. And so I'm kind of rooting for Buffalo. I got friends who are Bills fans. So, I mean, Lamar in the cold, I don't know how that's going to affect him in the passing game. 
I think I, I think Buffalo is is on a uh, is on a collision course with Kansas City. So I'm going with the Bills. Okay, so I guess that that makes this next pick an easy one. Um, yeah. The Browns go to Kansas City. I'm taking the Chiefs. I mm-hmm. like I just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes in this setting, and I don't yeah. know that I'm going to be able to pick against Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. next week or two weeks after that if it comes to that. Yeah. I just what I saw last year was outrageous. How they came back and made it look easy. They were what, 24 down against the Texans. They came back in this like 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 with. It felt like in five minutes they were they 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 had turned that thing around. The way yep. they came back against a great San Francisco defense on the biggest stage, mm-hmm. I just I mean until I see until I see Pat Mahomes lay an egg in the playoffs, it's going to be really hard for me to pick against him, and I'm not picking against him here. I think the Chiefs win. I think the Chiefs. I think there's a good chance the Chiefs win handily. Yeah, I'm I'm going with Kansas City also because it's to me it's a no brainer. What what happened last week? The Steelers turned it over. You had the the snap over Roethlisberger's head to start the game. The Browns recovered in the end zone. Big Ben turned the ball over. Uh, had what three interceptions in the game? That's what Cleveland's going to need Kansas City to do to keep up with this offense. And Kansas City only had sixteen giveaways all season long. I mean that was it. So they don't turn it over. And Mahomes typically is not a guy who's going to get pressured a whole bunch. He only was sacked 24 times all season long. So to me, it wouldn't, it would take a miracle. And I know the Browns got a miracle last week. Miracles, you know, I guess they don't come in bunches. I I would have to go with, uh, with Kansas city. And I think 95% of the people out there are going to go with Kansas city. The other 5% live in Cleveland. Yep. And so the final game of the weekend might be the most intriguing game of the weekend. Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. This is the ninth time they've played. Do you know the first time they played Fabs? Was was Brady was Brady a Patriot and Brees a Charger? Nope. No. Oh man. Well, I knew Brady would be a Patriot. I'm thinking you, you you're trying to trick nope. me here. Maybe he go. He wasn't. Okay. Brady was a Wolverine. And they never and what? Brees was a Boilermaker. Is that right? October of 1999. Brady's last year at Michigan. Breeze's junior year at Purdue. And I think it was 38 to 12, uh, Michigan over Purdue. But if you Google, if you YouTube it, you can find it. Oh my gosh. The the game is on. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So Brady was the starter in that game. It wasn't your rivalry. So the first time, the first time they played, like I, I, I remember I found somebody on the, you know what it was? It's Tristan Wirfs. So the first time that Drew Brees and Tom Brady played, mm-hmm. Tom Brady's right tackle this week was six months old. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's isn't that insane? Man. Like, think that, about that. Like, yeah. twenty-one years. Like, they, they they've been playing against each other for twenty-one that is just years. Crazy. I know. I, yeah. I was thinking Patriots and and, and Bolts. I it's didn't even fun, think to go a back fun, to college. Like, twist on it, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. The, did you see? Well, obviously you saw that the history channel uh, image that somebody put together with Brady as with, with the old gray beard and yeah, yep, breeze yep. with bald and with the glass. Oh dude, that was, yeah. that was tremendous. Yeah. That was and tremendous. Here's another interesting twist. Do you think Brady has like the upper hand wins and losses over everybody? He doesn't. 
Drew Brees five, Tom Brady three, and that's including the Michigan game. So five and two oh. in the NFL, and that's two two he wins. Swept this, him this, this year, yeah. yeah. Swept him this year was three yeah. and two before that. This so, this one might be where we differ because right now we're all in on the same teams. Maybe. This is fun. This is fun. This is gonna be this is gonna be a fun one. This is the one I'm probably mo- looking most forward to. You get the six oh five start at the Superdome. God, that would be like that place would be rocking in in a normal year. I know. Um, I'm going with the Bucks. And I didn't think I would. I I don't know why I feel like that. That Saints roster is so loaded, and it's the like there's a sense of urgency there. I just it's the same principles with Mahomes. I just saw a look from Brady like that looks so routine. The way that he went out and just uh, like just completely slashed Washington's throat last week. You know, right. yeah, and he's such a killer on this stage. And it's like the same principle with Mahomes, you know, like I, I've seen it now from Mahomes. And so until it doesn't happen, I'm going to bet that it's going to keep happening. And you just seen Brady so many times on this stage. I don't know if he can go into Lambeau and beat Aaron Rodgers with that team, but I think he can at least win one road game in the playoffs, or at least when, at least when one, one road game against those two teams, cause he's already won one. But mm-hmm. so this is going to be a close one. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm taking Tom Brady, despite the fact that the Saints have some of that formula for beating Brady that we talked about last week. You can get after the quarterback with four. They've got a good pass rush. Cam Jordan, obviously Trey Hendrickson got hurt, but you know Sheldon Rankins flashed last week. Um, I have a hard time getting against Tom Brady in this sort of circumstance, so give me the box. So I, I was going to go with the box because of – the it's really hard to beat a team three times in the same season. Mm-hmm. And the saints have been snake bitten in the playoffs over the last few seasons. We all know that, especially those, uh, those fans out there who, uh, who, you know, are, are big into the black and gold, but I got to catch up because I'm down <laughs> a game. So I'm taking the saints. There and you I, go. I mean, that's what I got to do. I, I've got to take the saints home game. I think I think the Bucks are going to win, but because Albert took the Bucks, I can't go there because I, I need to have at least one game that's not in agreement with you. There it is. So that means Lago we're going to be tied next week, or I'm going to have a two game lead with that's three right. left. That's right. Right. Yeah. So here's the here's the sheet, just so you see it, Fabs. It's Got written it. down, and I'm folding it up and putting it in my desk drawer. And we'll be back with our picks for championship weekend. So that Saints Bucks game is going to determine whether I'm on the verge of winning. <laughs> or Fabs is pulling even. That's right. uh, Fabs, always appreciate the time. Uh, we will talk to you next week. All right, my friend. Take care. All right, thanks to Fabs. Thanks again to Sage. We'll jump into the six-pack. You guys know how that works. Every week I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get an answer here in the podcast. And I hit that little heart button. If I don't get to your question on the podcast, I may have gotten a it on the mailbag. So check that out on themmqb.com as well. Question number one coming from Cassie. That's at NFL Cassie. If the Packers lose this week, do you see them potentially moving on with Jordan Love next year? Any idea on his progression? Cassie, the and I haven't done a ton of work, full disclosure, on where Jordan Love is. I do know it's a little tough to get a read on young players right now because you didn't get the spring, you didn't get training camp, and most of the energy spent 
uh, over the course of this calendar year, because it's been so limited, has been on getting starters ready to go. So I don't have any reason for concern. I don't have any reason for over-the-top excitement about Jordan Love. I do not see them, the Packers moving on from Aaron Rodgers after this year. No way, no how. Uh, you guys can clip this, and if it happens, I'm wrong. I just don't see it happening at least for another year, probably for two more years. I think after year three, maybe then you've got a decision to make. Um, but I, my, my, my sense is Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback there for at least a couple more years with a healthy now relationship with Matt LaFleur. Question number two from Nick Morales. That's at Nick underscore Morales 27. If you're the Miami Dolphins and you're on the clock at three, who are you taking? So if I'm the Dolphins and I had an, a, a, an executive of a rival team, like put it back, I think this is the best way to put it said, if you're the Dolphins, you have to evaluate the quarterback class like you don't have a quarterback. That doesn't mean that you don't like Tua. That means you go through all of the work that you would normally go through when you're vetting quarterbacks. You go through all of the work that you went through last year when you were vetting Tua and when you were vetting Burrow and you were vetting Herbert. Because under flow, under career, you don't plan to be picking that high again. And this is a rare opportunity to be in a position to draft a franchise quarterback. And so I, I agree with that, that, that line of thinking that if you're the Dolphins sitting there at three, you're holding up Tua Tungavaloa against Justin Fields, Tua Tungavaloa against Zach Wilson, Tua Tungavaloa against Trey Lance, because you don't plan to be drafting that high again. And going from good or average to great or good is worth it at that position. And so if I'm the Dolphins, I'm turning over every rock on the quarterbacks and I am comparing them to Tua and I'm trying to get a read on what's better for the franchise going forward. If you decide you're going forward with Tua, I think drafting Panay Sewell is an interesting idea if he's available there at three. You'd probably have to move Austin Jackson over to the right side then, but that would give you a chance to fix the offensive line once and for all, and he's a special, special prospect. Obviously, Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase's names are going to come up um, in trying to give your quarterback some help. The one player, though, that I think like stylistically, and we'll have to see with the character stuff, but stylistically really fits Brian Flores, is actually Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. Like you look at the linebackers that Flores has had. He was a linebackers coach, then the de facto DC in New England, what he's had in Miami. He really likes linebackers who are kind of these hybrids, right? So that's what like Dante Hightower was in New England. That's what Kyle Van Noy was for him in both New England and now Miami. That's what Jerome Baker has been for him in Miami. And Micah Parsons is like a supersized, supercharged version of that athletically, where you're getting a guy who has the freakish athletic talent of like one of these edge rushers, but he's a linebacker, plays off the line. And so I, I just think my, like from a stylistic perspective, Michael Parsons is like everything that Brian Flores wants in a linebacker. Again, the character stuff has to check out because there are some questions there. But as a player, I think he's he'd be a really, really good fit for Brian Flores. Question number three from Paul Lynch. That's at Paul underscore Lynch. Do you envision the scenario where Fields is there for the Patriots at 15 or within a few picks of 15 in the draft? And if so, would Bill make that pick? Uh, I don't think he'll fall to 15. I don't think he's falling out of the top seven or eight picks. So I think he's going somewhere in the top 10. Do I think that he, Bill would move up for him? 
I don't necessarily think so. It's a tough call because, like, like to get the there's no price you can pay. There's no price you can put on getting a quarterback that can be your answer for the next ten or fifteen years. On the flip side, they've got so many holes in the roster, and if you deplete your resources to go and fill those holes and you go forward with what you have, but a young quarterback in that situation, what sort of situation are you putting that young quarterback in to succeed? So I think these are, I think it's pretty complex when you're talking about the Patriots and the idea of trading up because they do have so many needs in their roster. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if Bill will like Fields's tape. I don't know what he'll think of Fields's tape. I don't know what Josh McDaniels will think of Fields's tape. But I do know he's a big time talent. I know he's, you know, physically he's got the ability of a first overall pick. And I do know, just from a personality standpoint, he's much, much different um, than say like Dwayne Haskins was. He's very, very competitive. He's tough. We saw that in the playoffs. I just think like he's the type of kid you want to bet on. So again, if the tape checks out, I think he's got a lot of things that Bill would like. Question number four from. Wu John at Wu John three draft five top draft top five this year. Is there any way a defensive player jumps in there? I gave you guys Micah Parsons. I think athletically he's got the ability to be in that group. If there is a, another defensive player, I think it would probably be Alabama corner. Patrick Sutan. It's got fantastic tape, a really, really good football player who I think the question is going to be how fast does he run? So if he were to clock like a four, three in the spring, then my guess would be he'll go somewhere in the top five or six picks. Like, where does Dallas pick? I'd have to look that up. But, like, you know, somewhere in the top five or six picks. If he does not run that fast, if he runs closer to four or five, which is what a lot of scouts are expecting, then maybe he slips a little bit. But I'd say he has the best chance outside of Parsons of any defensive player of getting in that group. There's no, like, defensive end that's going to go that high this year, I don't think. Greg Rousseau from Miami, I think, goes a little later than that. And so my guess would be like that the two players with the best chance are Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, and Patrick Sertan, the cornerback from Atlanta. Question number or from Alabama. Question number five from Eric Lancet. That's at Lee Lancet. Do you see Darnold turning it around now with a new coach and a lot of draft capital for the Jets, i.e., multiple early picks and signing Allen Robinson and Tooney? We mentioned this off the top and the takeaways comparing Mr. Trubisky to the field. We mentioned this just a second ago with the Dolphins comparing Tua Tungavaloa to the field. I think the Jets have to do the same thing. Compare Sam Darnold to the field. Compare Sam Darnold to Fields and Wilson and Lance and make a determination that way. Um, but I do think they're in a position to create a much better situation around their quarterback. And obviously a huge part of where Sam Darnold is – I still think the guy can be a good player, but a huge part of where he is is the sort of situation he's had around him for the last three years. And so, you know, I think you'd like to get a better read on that before you give up on him. The problem is you're now in position to draft his replacement. So it kind of puts you in that spot where you have to make some like level of final judgment on Darnold relative to what you're going to do with that second overall pick. And Oh, by the way, you're going to have this huge option that you got to make a decision on too. So I just, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's really like to me. If you if you're ready to marry Darnold, like marry him contractually, go forward with him. 
Uh, if not, like you have to really consider the other quarterbacks at two, and I do think there are a couple of guys that are worthy of going that high just from a talent perspective. Question number six from Daniel Trugman. That's at D Trugman too. Do you think Carson Wentz struggles this year will change the thinking behind small school prospects like Trey Lance? No, Daniel. I think this is really unfair when people do this. I mean, like, you know, give me Josh Allen from Wyoming. You know, like he's had a really good year. He's from a non-blue blood program, from a mid-major program. It wasn't one double It was like sort of the lower level of the FBS. So I don't think it's fair to like compare Carson Wentz to Trey Lance. I don't think it's fair to compare Justin Fields to Dwayne Haskins. And I've got a great example to leave you guys with this week. There was a coach who produced first-round pick after first-round pick after first-round pick at the college level. And a lot of them washed out, didn't live up to expectations. It just it looked like there was a trend there. That guy's name was Jeff Tedford. He at one point was at Fresno, then he was at Oregon, then he was at Cal. Offensive coordinator at Fresno, offensive coordinator at Oregon, head coach at Cal. So the string of quarterbacks he had, Trent Dilfer at Fresno State, went in the top five. Two at Oregon, both uh, Achilles Smith and Joey Harrington. Then gets to Cal, and you got Kyle Baller, right? So three of those four went in the top five. Achilles went top five. Joey Harrington went top five. Trent Dilfer went top five. And then he had another guy in Kyle Bowler who went top 20. So the thinking is he's masking whatever it is like the, he's masking what these guys are missing. He, they, they all had the funky delivery where, you know, you're throwing from the shelf. That's like a loaded position. So there were a ton of these questions. And so then in 2005, another quarterback comes along and he has to answer for all of this. And you know, what that quarterback was that quarterback was Aaron Rodgers, and that worked out pretty well. So I don't think it's fair to compare one prospect versus the next just based on a coach, based on a school, they're all a little bit different. Now, if you feel like there's like something hidden by the scheme, you have to examine that. So yeah, I, I think it's fair to uh, you know look in Ryan Day's scheme and the stuff that 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 uh, that he was able to do for Dwayne Haskins and look if there's parallels with what he's done for Justin Fields. The same way you would do that if you were assessing, you know, Aaron Rodgers. And looking at what Jeff Tedford did for uh, did for Achilles Smith, for Joey Harrington, for Trent Dilfer, for Kyle Baller. The same way I think you know if you're the if you're a team and looking at Trey Lance, look at what the North Dakota State offense did for 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 Carson Wentz. No question. But I don't think it's fair to tie one guy to the other like completely to say I won't draft this guy because of. Uh, because because this other guy who went to, who happened to go to the same school who happened to be coached by the same people washed out. I don't think it's fair to do that at all. I appreciate you guys coming out as always. We need your feedback. We want your feedback. We love your feedback. You can get to me on my social media cha- channels at Albert Breer on Facebook or at, at Albert Breer on Twitter at Albert R Breer on Facebook at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. You can also leave us a rating and review. That really helps. So you can do that. Go to Apple Podcasts. Go to iTunes. Look up my show, The Albert Breer Show. Give us a rating and a review there. And always remember to listen to all of our podcasts, the MMQB podcast, which has the which is the feed that contains Gary's Monday Morning Podcast and the Gambling Podcast. Jenny and Connor have their own feed now, the Weak Side Podcast, and, of course, my podcast, which you know where to find it because you're listening to this. That's the Albert Breer Show. You can find us and them on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We're there same time next week. I'll see you guys next week.